0: Have a great idea for a fashion brand but don't know where to start? Or perhaps you're looking to take your existing label to the next level? Our industry experts have years of experience at top brands and are ready to help you bring your vision to life. From designing your collection, to brand building, to textile and factory sourcing, we offer a nurturing and personalised approach every step of the way. Visit fashionandthefreecom forward slash studio to schedule a consultation and take the first steps towards turning your fashion dreams into reality. Hi and welcome to the Fashion and the Free podcast, the show that pulls back the curtains of the fashion industry to reveal what really goes on behind closed doors, as well as teaching you some tips and tricks of the trade. I'm your host, Emma Golly, a fashion designer, consultant and founder of Fashion and the Free. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to two fashion freelancers and consultants, Charlotte Jade Johnson and Anna Douglas, to find out how to become a successful freelancer. This episode is split into two parts. In part one, we begin with Charlotte to find out how she became a highly successful fashion freelancer. Now, before we continue, I did just want to say, welcome back. The podcast has been a little absent for the past few months. Being totally transparent with you, I am a one-woman band creating this podcast finding guests, doing the interviews and the editing. And sometimes when life gets in the way, whether that be work-related or travel, unfortunately that means the podcast gets a little neglected. But I am pleased to say I'm back and so excited for the upcoming episodes I have in store for you. So going back to my guest, Charlotte is a sustainable fashion business consultant and creator of The Fashion Founder, a program with monthly coaching and mentoring. She helps entrepreneurs to launch and scale their fashion businesses with sustainability at the heart of their brands. She also has her own podcast and successful social media channels. We did this interview back in April, so I'm so glad to finally be sharing this with you. Whether you're interested in becoming a fashion freelancer or a freelancer in another industry, or perhaps you just really like listening to the the behind-the-scenes stories from the fashion industry, there's something for everyone in this episode. Hi Charlotte, welcome to the Fashion and the Free podcast. I would love for you to talk us through your background in fashion and how that led to where you're at in your
1: career today. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me on. So where I am today was sort of a happy accident. I actually started out into the freelance world as a designer. So I was working on a few different projects as like a freelance role and then what I sort of hear as being coined the term permalancer, you know, where you sort of work (laughs) in house, but you're on like a freelance contract. And I was kind of doing that. And that's essentially how it started out. And then, you know, I was working with a bunch of different brands. And what I found was that they were asking me questions about marketing and manufacturing. And, you know, where do I get my packaging? And how do I reach out to influencers? And being a classic people pleaser, I was like, yeah, sure, <laughs> I'll help you. This is what I think you should do. This is what I think, you know, this is the direction I think you should take. And upon reflection, I realized this is something I can be packaging and, and selling as an offer. So I did that and I thought, you know, I can offer this consultancy. I can also do design. If people want to work with me on on both services, then like, great, that, that'll work really, really well. And consultancy started to pick up quite a bit, and I thought can't balance the two. Something needs to something needs to give, and I thought I'm gonna go all in consultancy. I really enjoy working one to one. I love the creative side. Don't get me wrong. You know, I spent time in um, a diploma and a a degree and working in industry to get to the design side of things. Um, But I just yeah, I really found a love for working with people and coaching I guess there's a real big coaching element to it you know 50% of what I do is logistical and 50% is mindset related and I really enjoy that side of it so it was a little bit of a happy accident but I'm really really glad it happened.
0: That's awesome so do you still do any of the designing at all still or did you have to take a back seat on that?
1: Yeah so I completely took a back seat from design in I'm gonna say 2021 beginning of 2021 I think that was my last design project, and. Yeah, I do miss it. I mean, I've (laughs) picked up the odd design bit every now and again, maybe to have a client who needs a few tweaks done for a design. And I've picked some up here and there, but yeah, predominantly consultancy now.
0: That's amazing. I think what you hit upon there is really important because there is actually such a huge demand for people that maybe haven't got a background in fashion that really need someone that does to give them a helping hand and mentor them. And I think you picking up on that perhaps when you started off doing design, A lot of your clients were like needed a bit more, you know, they needed the full package. That's something that I've actually experienced too. And then you find that you're jackable trades in that sense because you're like, okay, well, I'll help you with branding. I'll help you find your factory. And because there's just this need and a lot of people would prefer to do it all with one person. I completely relate. And I think that's such a great idea that you really use that to your advantage. And now that's your full fledged business. What services do you typically offer to your clients? Because you've been doing it for such a long time now. What have you built over the last six years?
1: Yeah, so I guess the program itself is consultancy and community. And I realize that's quite, you know, an ambiguous term. I think these yes. words are thrown around so much, like these buzzwords of consultancy and mentorship. And it's like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Um, for me on the Fashion Founder program, it is essentially strategy advice accountability and then community that's a big part for me is the founders that I work with feeling like they're heard by other people in the same industry so I like to incorporate as much as I can in terms of group aspect stuff so we have monthly sessions we have group chats all of that kind of stuff just so that people can you know chat to other people who are going through the same problems and having the same challenges and yeah feel heard I guess.
0: Yeah, that's nice. So you've almost built this network of people all doing a very similar thing. And you never know, there could be collaborations that come out of that too. That's a really nice way of sort of marrying up all these different brands and entrepreneurs. So you specialize in sustainability. Why was this so important for you? And what are some of the ways you help your clients stick to a sustainable path in their business?
1: Sustainability for me was something that I picked up during my degree. It was something I was really interested in both from like a fashion perspective and my studies perspective, but also in my own life as well. You know, I enjoyed shopping locally, shopping small, supporting small independent businesses. You know, I moved from a little town in the Northeast of England to Manchester and there was so many independent businesses and I just really enjoyed that aspect of it. And that's when sort of my love for this whole, you know, zero waste and yeah. ethical manufacturing. And that's just when it, it really started and you know fashion is such a polluting industry it's it, it's really um you know up there with like oil industry and and others so it's really important i think as creatives to you know we have a duty of care to not be more part of that problem
0: yeah
1: um, and i think we're not going to start wearing clothes anytime soon we're always going to want fashion there's always going to be a demand there so i think i see it i guess my responsibility a little bit to yeah use my knowledge and use my skills to help and support other businesses to make sure that they are prioritizing these practices and seeing them as the norm I guess sustainability and ethical practices should just be part of the business that should just be you know industry standard I think it's nice to have a mission of making sustainable and ethical brands you know, increasing their market share. I think that's something that is really important to me. There's so many fast fashion brands out there. A lot of the high street is not far off doing the same as what fast fashion brands are in terms of their practices. So I think it's really nice to think that, you know, the more brands I get to work with, the more we're increasing that market share of brands that really do care.
0: Yeah, I think it's just passing that knowledge on to others. And, you know, you're saying it shouldn't really even just be a novelty. It should just be implemented in every procedure, every practice when you're building a fashion brand. So I think that's really important. I mean, I think one of the positives I'm seeing right now, as I'm sure you are, you know, I have clients that come to me that that's one of the first things they say, you know, we want to do this in the most sustainable way possible. We're not going to necessarily claim to be the most sustainable brand in the world, but we want to make sure a lot of our practices that are implemented are as sustainable as what we can achieve realistically right now. And then as you continue and grow and have more of a budget, it can be fully implemented. So you've got a a full circle business, which I think is really encouraging that so many people are thinking about it right now.
1: Definitely. I I think I read something semi-recently, you know, it was maybe a few months ago now about conscious consumers and how 56% of consumers now are prioritizing conscious practices and brands that claim to be taking a more sustainable avenue. And and that really surprised me. It was higher than I thought. Uh, It still should be higher, yeah. um, but it was definitely a lot higher than I, you know, would have expected, which, you know, it's really good to see that people are making more conscious decisions and, and brands are not capitalizing on that, but definitely going down that route because ultimately it's the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. And I think it was sped up a little bit after 2022. I think, you know, before 2020, I think some people were thinking about it, were implementing it, but I think... During that pandemic time, it gave a lot of people to time to reflect and even just general public, general consumers gave them terms to reflect on their choices as well. And overconsumption consumption, everything just slowed down a little bit. And I think we're seeing the results of that, you know, in these years that follow. So in some ways, as much as that was such a horrible year for everyone in terms of sustainable fashion, that has been a positive that came out of it. You know, the, this, I guess the the speed in which it's kind of escalating now, more people are interested. So what are some of the common misconceptions about starting a fashion business that you've experienced with, you know, whether it's a lot of people you work with or just in general from your career experience?
1: I think the the biggest misconception is that people think it's going to be easy. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) yeah, I think that's what people think. Yeah. People think it's going to be easy or easier than what they initially thought especially when it comes to the production side of things you know sourcing the right manufacturer getting your items produced going through the stages of product development I think founders maybe go into it with the approach that things are going to be super super streamlined and I know many do have a real realistic expectation of what what it's going to be like and as a consultant I do try to prepare people for that stage as much as possible like things might go wrong we're going to eliminate. That risk as much as possible, but there can be delays, there can be discrepancies, and that's just part and parcel of the process. I think it's being able to, it's the way that you approach those setbacks or those, I don't like to call them failures, but when things don't go to plan, I think it's the way that you respond is ultimately how things work out for you in the future. But yeah, I think the the biggest misconception is that people think this is going to be super simple, but it's definitely not.
0: Yes, I completely relate to that myself as well. And I think a lot of the time it's it's about timelines as well. I think, you know, I have, like, I'm sure you might have as well, like people that approach you expecting them to be able to have a collection within some people as little as like a couple of months. Some people expect it within six months. And realistically, especially for a very first collection, it could be a year, it could be a year and a half. It really depends like where it's being made, the journey you've been on, to find and then eliminate some of those manufacturers you're working through and like you said like it's just part and parcel of the fashion industry things happen it happens at the big corporate companies too you know there's delays with manufacturers there's I don't know maybe something they didn't execute correctly and you've got to work with them to correct that and get it to where you need it to be and I think if, you're, if you've not worked in the fashion industry at all, that's quite a surprise to a lot of people, just how much work, how many rounds of samples you might need to do with fittings, things like that. Um, so I completely relate to that. And like you said, it's how you handle it. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes find it difficult to not take it on my shoulders a little bit because as a freelancer, that's you solely, that's your business. And so when stuff like that does happen, like you said, it's part and parcel of being a freelancer is really how do you then deal
1: with that how do you
0: work through that with your customer with your clients as well
1: absolutely there's one thing that I always say and it's something we used to say a lot in industry was that we're not heart surgeons we're not flying rockets to the moon and that doesn't mean to discredit what it is that we're doing because like I said before everybody wears clothes every single day it's a massive industry and it's a very very skilled industry so it's not discrediting that at all but it's you know it's not life or death if yeah. something doesn't go to plan it, it it's going to be okay there's there's always a solution you yeah. can always wait there's always going to be a way that we can overcome that it's it's not that big a deal that's what I try to tell my clients if something's not gone to plan or if there is an error or discrepancy I'm like it's going to be okay might put you back a couple of weeks but but that's that's cool it, it's going to be absolutely fine and that's what I try to remember like remind myself but also yeah. my clients as well
0: yeah, that's a really good mentality to have. And I definitely remember that saying, being said quite a lot, you know, coming out of meetings in the fashion industry, if things didn't go so well, I always had bosses that said, look, we're not heart surgeons, we're not curing cancer here. It's just yeah. clothes. <laughs> that's a really good mentality to have. Definitely. Um, so did you have any fears yourself when you became a freelancer and launched your own business? And if so, what were they?
1: I have definitely had all of them definitely yeah fears of failing imposter syndrome fears that people from my hometown were talking about me behind my back or (laughs) you know what you know gossip and I definitely still have them from time to time but I think I'm just better at managing them now and I'm better at telling them you know that's not helpful um, but yeah, I think oh gosh, yes, I had them all, and I think it's very normal to experience some of them. I think it's a a good sign that you're doing something outside of your com- comfort zone, and yeah, a bit of a sign to lean into it. I always, I always think.
0: Yeah, that's a really good part of advice, actually, too, because actually you challenging yourself and having those fears isn't a bad thing. It means you're progressing and you're moving forward. And if you didn't have those fears, you're probably not growing as a person or a business. So that's actually a really good piece of advice. So what are some of the ways that you find clients that have proved really successful for you
1: so far? So for me, multi-channel marketing has been a real big thing. I remember working with a coach a few years ago, sort of at the beginning of my journey and um, someone, you know, saying it's it's best to go down the route of just really focusing on one platform. And I think focusing on The platforms that you think your ideal customer or your ideal client will be spending their time on is going to be much more productive than saying, right, I'm just going to go all in on TikTok. I'm just going to go all in on YouTube, all in on Instagram. So for me, at the very beginning, it was very much LinkedIn was like my platform of choice. I found that with it being a professional platform, I got a certain caliber of client. It was a professional client who was ready to take action. You know, they were serious about this and ready to implement And then as things sort of grew and I sort of built a bit of a a reputation on Instagram, I think my primary platform for clients now is Instagram. As we sort of had a chat about before we start, like jumped onto the podcast, it's the benefit of things like podcasts as well. I don't know about you, but when I checked my analytics, I've got people listening from all over the world and it's just, it's incredible. I think, wow, who is that person over there listening to this, (laughs) like in this country I've never even heard of? So for me, it's, you know, being able to utilize like crossovers of different platforms and just, yeah, really utilizing different like marketing tools and outbounding as well. Outbound marketing is a big thing for me. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't maybe think about or utilize and it's reaching out to people. And Mm -hmm. it might be that you build a great relationship with someone, you meet a new friend, you have a potential collaboration or they become a client. And I think either way, it's um, it's just great to meet people online.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really smart way of doing it. And it sounds like, you know, you had some help from a coach at the beginning, which is also a really good way, especially if you're unsure, and you need to get that additional advice or mentoring. That's a really nice way to start. But yeah, it's great that Instagram works for you so well. Do you and I don't need to deep, you know, dive too deep into this at all. But, you know, do you do a lot of reels? Is it that those are proving successful for you? Do you do paid advertising? Like, what's your sort of way that you're actually... Because it's it's all well and good, you know. It's very easy to make a, an Instagram site, post some cool things, but actually getting people's attention and, and getting those views as the next you know stage for somebody doing that? What's been your sort of tricks, would you say?
1: Totally. So I've never done paid advertising or paid marketing. I've always looked into the organic route just because I still yeah. think there's a lot I can be doing. There's definitely more I can be doing yeah. in the realms of free marketing. I would, wouldn't say no to paid advertising in the future. Um, but for me, stick into a content schedule of making sure to put out from a minimum you know two to three high quality pieces of content that either offer some sort of value they educate yeah. my audience I'm I'm not scared to put out content that gives them value you know yeah I think people are scared especially as freelancers to educate their audience or give content that would they would maybe charge for but I think if you can give people a little bit of an insight into, your knowledge, your expertise, what you can offer. And they think, wow, if they're giving me this for free, what is it going to be like to work with them? So that's yeah. been a really, really big thing for me. You know, don't have an element of of scarcity when you're, you're putting content out online. And then talking a lot about the mindset side of things as well. I think making sure to maybe resonate with your audience in a way that allows them to feel heard you know I get it I get that you're scared of failing I get that going into this industry feels really big and scary if you're not from the fashion space even if you are it feels big and scary yeah um, and just allowing people to to feel heard is is something that I really try to hone in on my messaging um I did go through a stage of reels for a little bit and I really enjoyed creating them but they definitely take a little bit more energy you know there's a there's an expectation to set up your ring light and maybe have your mic there and yeah there's definitely a little bit more energy required from it than just sitting down and putting a nice post together so something i'd like to pick back up again
0: <laughs> yeah no i agree i think reels are uh, very time consuming i've done a few like even on my fashion of the free page and yeah, you know, they just take a lot of time. It's a lot of time when you have a full-time job as well, you know, freelancing, whatever. That's that's a chunk out of your day that you could be working with a client. So it is very hard to, to manage everything. So if someone is considering going freelance, where do you think
1: they should start? So I would say start by identifying how you you're going to help people, who you're going to work with as well, understanding who you're ideal client or your ideal customer is going to be and then create an offer based around what you think they need and what their expectations are of working with someone like you. I think thinking about the transformation of the client as well so what is the journey they're going to be on by working with you and instead of focusing on okay you get maybe as a designer you might say okay you get six designs three tech packs you get this you get that like really focusing on like the the content or the features instead of focusing primarily on that focus on the outcome or the transformation that your client will go through so from point a is where they currently are now and point b is where they will be once they've worked with you thinking about what that's going to look like yeah Um, that's quite a big thing i think so Yeah, ultimately, I guess I took a long route of describing that, but I would say figure out who your client is or who your ideal customer is and identify how you can help them and then create an offer off the back of that.
0: Yeah, I think that's really helpful information. And I would also add to that as well, you know, if you are thinking of going freelance and this is just more on the practical side is actually make sure you've got a little chunk of savings behind you too, because it could take a while to get that first client. Um, You know, some people get very lucky through word of mouth and it's instant. Other people, it might take, you know, at least a month, maybe a little longer to secure that first client. And therefore, you know, you don't want to be worrying how you're going to maybe pay the next rent or be paying your mortgage off or, you know, whatever stage you're at. So on the practical side, I would say as well, make sure you've got that little security blanket as well when you get started.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I always say to anyone who reaches out and says, like, I love that you're freelance. Like, how did how did that happen? How did that work for you? What did that look like? And from, like you say, the practical side of things, thinking outside of the infrastructure of the business, yeah, definitely have some sort of savings in your belt or some sort of plan to okay for the first couple of months this is what it's going to look like this is how I'm going to afford my bills because yeah. I didn't do that fortunately I had a very very supportive partner who could look after me if things yeah, didn't work yeah, out absolutely um and that was a. I realized I was in a very very privileged situation in that sense so it maybe wasn't a greater risk as it might have seemed from the outside you know she's just quit her job and she's now gone freelance <laughs> but actually I had a really really strong support network around me yeah Um, But things did work out, you know, it, it, it happened and it worked out. Okay. So I would totally, totally agree with that. Make sure you have some sort of savings or you know how you're going to be paying the next couple of months worth of rent and as things pick up momentum, then, you know, things will be absolutely fine.
0: Yeah, and also there's other ways, you know, if you're already in a job, so say you're already in a full-time position and you're already considering it strongly, then start building things whilst you're in that job. You know, use your evenings or your weekends to start building out your website, start building up your socials, like start getting things in motion so that when you take that leap, you're already starting to, you're already at least set up the foundations of what you need to get going. Um, so that's another thing. If you're If you're privileged enough to already be in work, start making those moves whilst you're in that job if you can
1: yeah totally I I massively support the idea of building I get I guess a bit of a side hustle whilst you're in employment that's exactly what I was doing for a good amount of time I remember like heading from work then heading to a coffee shop or wherever to meet a a client to have a meeting or a design brief or whatever and I remember one day one of my well actually my manager from my job drove past me in a coffee shop that was like all glass windows and took a picture of me like what are you doing in Costa and I remember being like oh I'm just I'm just meeting a friend had my laptop out and I'm like you know giving it all this and yeah she had no idea until I said I'm gonna be quitting my job and she was like oh are you taking you know are you going self-employed and I was like Yes, so she must have had a bit of an idea, but I do think that is the best way to go. As long as there's not a huge conflict of interest in what you're doing at work, yeah, I think it's a really good route to go down.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I can't believe that she saw you in that coffee <laughs> shop. That's always the way. I think, especially when you're in the UK, you know, things that you know, cities, towns, smaller. You know, you seem to you do end up knowing an awful lot of people in your area, so there's always a chance that someone's going to see you what are some of the essential platforms and tools that you think every freelancer in fashion should be using?
1: Um, So I guess this would be dependent on the role that they would go down. So for design, you're going to need, without a doubt, some sort of design software. For me, Adobe was just amazing. I love Illustrator, Photoshop, Lightroom, you know, they are the the go-to choice for any sort of design um, requirements but with me not doing design anymore I do still have all of my Adobe platforms just in case but yeah so that was I guess essential at that time but for me now the first thing would probably be my booking system so I use Calendly and this is just so convenient I use it for clients potential clients anyone that wants to book book something in with me. If I'm recording a podcast, I will use it to book in with yeah. um, you know, recording for mine. It's just super convenient because it syncs up with my diary. It stops me from double booking uh, because I work with clients all over the world. It also syncs the time zones as well. well so it's clever. really, really convenient. Yeah. yeah. So it avoids sort of like that ping ponging back with like, oh, can you do yes. this time on this day? And yeah. yeah, so it's really, really ideal in that sense. So that would be my first one would be Calendly my next one would be my payment system so i use stripe and it's they definitely take quite a big fee but i think it's quite a, it's a small price to pay to feel safe and secure in your payment methods i think bank transfer always feels a bit strange to me i don't feel like it feels secure from my perspective or my client's perspective so i do like to use a system that feels a little bit more secure in that sense although their yeah. details are secure and you know there's once you wire someone money through bank transfer, there's your all buyer safety is gone. So I know my, my customers and clients would probably feel safer in that sense. Um, and it allows you to take monthly payments as well. So if you were putting something on a payment plan, it allows yeah. you to take automatic payments and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I've never had a problem with them. So, so far, so good. I highly recommend Stripe and I've used them from yeah. right at the beginning. Yeah. Um. And then, so the last thing I guess would be my... Messenger system, so I use Telegram to liaise with all of my clients. Yeah. I used to give my clients my WhatsApp, and that was a really, really bad decision because yeah. there was no boundaries. My private messages yeah. were mixed in with my client messages, and I'd be messaging my mom on a Sunday morning, and a client message would pop up, and it was just a huge volatility. So I finally yeah. decided to switch over to Telegram. I know some people use Voxer, Slack discord there's a bunch of different options yeah yeah but for me telegram was was the best one um and that's what i use so that keeps everything separate and it's much better to have that sort of work-life balance
0: yeah that's really smart as well because i think i completely agree when it comes to text and whatsapp you know sometimes you want to be able to switch off at weekends it could be that someone's messaging you in the evening but you know, if you have that separated, you know, you don't even have to look at that if you don't want to, you can completely switch off. If it gets there on your phone, on a text or a WhatsApp, you go straight into work mode because it's just there. So you could be getting up, I don't know, on a Sunday morning and receiving that message from a client. And it just puts you in this not so relaxed, you know, space where, you know, you normally would be for, you know, your weekend. So I think that's really smart to try and just keep it separate if you can.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think as soon as you open a message from a client, you are no longer in, as you say, relaxation mode, you're straight into work mode. So if you yeah. have allow your clients to have access to you seven days a week, you're working seven days a week. I say that to my clients as well. I say if you're picking up a message from a manufacturer on a Sunday evening you've now worked that Sunday, whether you like it or not, you've now chosen to work that day. And if they do, that's absolutely fine. Uh, But definitely don't make a habit of working seven days a week, every single week, because that's just when people burn out and it's not great.
0: Yeah. And often when people are messaging at the weekend, it's not because they want a reply that weekend. It's Mm. just because that's when they have time to message you. But because we're just so programmed to, you know, want to get back to people and respond you know, naturally, if someone's going to message you at the weekend, you feel compelled to have to message them back, and actually, they don't. Most people don't expect that, so I think keeping it separate is really smart. I'm definitely going to take on board some of this myself as well because I definitely have some clients on text that I really need to move on to my Slack.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely, it's a it's a great way to keep that that separation. And as you say, I get messages on a weekend that I think, like probably because it's fresh in their mind right now that they want to reach out, but they my clients know that if if they message on a Sunday morning they're probably not I'm probably not going to get back to them until a Monday sometimes I choose to work on a weekend and they will get a response from me yeah but a good 75% of the time I do try and take a good chunk of time off at the weekends just to make sure that I'm refreshing and recouping and when I come back on a Monday morning I'm giving them like a better version of me
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You need that work-life balance. And like you're saying, it actually helps you come back better on a Monday rather than feeling a little bit drained because you've eaten into your weekend. Talking about, you know, discipline, which actually leads perfectly to my next question. Can you list some of your top tips when it comes to time management and self-discipline?
1: Yeah, I was actually speaking with one of my clients about this this morning. So she has taken her business pretty much full time in terms of as a founder she is like a full-time founder now which is Great. super cool I know that's yeah. a lot of people's goals yeah um so we were talking about how to map out your week and how to manage your time and I think if you are a freelancer or a founder or just working for yourself having a blank diary or a blank planner can be so overwhelming not having someone you know if you work for a company telling you this is what your days and their days look like having a structure can be like, really convenient. If you don't have that, all of a sudden it's like, wow, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. So, for me, mapping out my days individually creates a routine, and I know where I need to be, what day of the week, and what my expectations and my intentions are for that day. So, for example, Monday and Wednesday for me are creative days. That's when I'm spending time to create Instagram content, to either record podcasts, create content. In, within the program as well so whether it's recording videos or creating a new resource um, writing email so that's all the creative stuff that I do on those Mondays and Wednesdays and then Tuesdays and Thursdays are call days so that's when I have strategy sessions with clients or any discovery calls with any potential clients and then for me Friday's a little bit of a loose ends kind of day I'm sort of tying things up for the week maybe planning for the next week Um, And if anything's booking along the way, then obviously that happens as well. And and your week tends to fill out once you've created some sort of plan. And if you put in things like exercise and meet a friend for a coffee and you will find that your days become really, really structured and you have a a weekly flow, I guess. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I guess in terms of self-discipline, I think I, like anyone else, tend to procrastinate if. I don't have a set routine or a set plan. I think for me, if I'm on with a big task, I remember when I was building out my website and I was building like a bit of a, um, like an online course and a module for my clients. I knew that I had a deadline to meet and I wanted to get it done. It was my own deadline, but I knew this was the day I wanted it done by. So a lot of the time I was putting my phone in another room, you know, I was removing any distractions and just really, getting it done and also giving myself some sense of reward afterwards so once I've recorded these four videos I'm gonna go meet a friend and grab a pizza you know just giving myself a bit of a okay once you do this you can go and enjoy yourself just get get the work done and then you can go and have fun so that I guess is what I do most of the time but yeah we all I think we all procrastinate and maybe don't work to the best of our abilities from time to time I think it's just human nature
0: (laughs) yeah and I think that's so much easier to be that way at home too so you know working remote as a freelancer you know it's very easy to just be sitting there scrolling on your phone and then you're looking like oh my goodness 15 minutes have gone by what was I doing or you know sitting out in the garden for a bit and then you know you're out there a little bit you know too long compared to what you need know, to be doing during that day it's it's very easy at home to be finding lots of other things to keep you occupied whereas I guess if you were full-time in an office there's always someone trying to get your attention you've got there's always a meeting you've got to be in and your day is just like you said almost structured for you so yeah. you do have to be very disciplined and I think for some people it works and for some people it doesn't and I think you have to find that out yourself and what works for you but trying all these tools, like you've been saying, you know, there's different ways to do it. Plotting out calendars, removing your phone from the room is a really good one. I feel like that sometimes when I know I've got a deadline to hit, I just put it in a different room so that I'm not distracted scrolling or anything. Um, So yeah, there's there's ways
1: to do it. Definitely. I think one I actually forgot to even mention was having a separate workspace. That's a big thing. I think working and I'm definitely guilty of this myself I have an amazing office space that I really enjoy being in and I feel productive in here and then I sometimes work from like the kitchen I'll just sit at like the dining table and and I'm like this is where I eat this is where I relax this is where I spend time with my partner and this is blurring those lines and if you you might not necessarily have an office or a room to have a completely separate workspace which I totally understand but if you can create a bit of an area that is dedicated to work and work only, it was really yeah. funny. I was visiting my parents recently and my parents both are employed. They work for for companies and my dad had his work laptop out and open with emails flashing up on like all weekend. There was no, <laughs> there was no like, um, what's it called? You know, where the screen goes blank and it just yeah, yeah. was a screensaver. It was constantly open with his emails open. And I was like, what is you there's no there's absolutely no boundaries there you've constantly got work related things popping up and he was just like oh I just leave it there for ease and convenience and I think that's something you definitely don't want to be doing is having that constant stream of work related content coming your way so if you can create some sort of separation whether that is an area of a bedroom or an area of a living area or whatever that works for you definitely do that because you want to keep them separate so that you can work and be in work mode and be productive and have that discipline to sit at your desk and do what you need to do and then take that you know that separate time because otherwise you end up like if I work at the dinner table I'll be putting a wash on I'll be you know, stroke in the dog or I'll be, you oh, know. Oh, yeah, attractive. it's so easy to do. It's, yeah. I mean,
0: even my office situation, you know, I don't personally have a separate office space. So my desk here is in our living room, but it's tucked away in a corner. I've got this sort of half of the living room. And then we converted our closet into like my fashion space. So all mm-hmm. the closet we have here, rather than it being, it used to be one of those like odds and sods closets where, you know, you'd have the broom and the hoover and all the things. <laughs> But we completely converted it and now it's got samples hanging up in there. We've got boxes with all my fabric swatches. And if you don't have a room that you can dedicate to your office space and you can at least carve out spots in your house that you can really keep as your own that hopefully don't get too distracted. But, yeah, I mean, I'm near the living room, the kitchen, so it definitely is harder because I'm like, oh, I need to put a wash on now or I need to do this. Definitely, (laughs) yeah. I I think keep things
1: as separate as you can. And just have like a a, a space that's dedicated to your work stuff. And for God's sake, close your laptop. Do not have your emails. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh no, it's it's the worst. (laughs) And yeah, removing anything from your phone too. I mean, I remember even working full time for other companies. You know, if you're dealing with factories in China, time differences there, and I would get pinged on my phone just as I was going to bed from China, and it would like you know you're trying to relax and wind down for the evening, and it it's not it's not helpful with that. So any Notifications you can remove is it's helpful as well. So, do you have any nuggets of advice when it comes to pricing out projects? Because that's also a really hard part of being freelance, especially when you first start out. It's knowing what to even charge in the first place, and knowing how best to price out projects. You know, do you send proposals? Are you trying to do it hourly? It's it's a bit of a minefield out there, and I think it's a bit of trial and error. So, I'd love to know what your advice is on that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a game of trial and error, I think, and. I found that I started off massively underpricing and I think most freelancers and founders do, you know, we start off maybe with a bit of a reserved approach and then we maybe gain a new perspective or we feel like we have more authority or more knowledge and then our prices increase in line with that. But I would say don't be afraid to beta test any programs and services first. You know, if you want to, if you're new to the freelance world and you're, trying to establish how you fit and how things are going to work definitely try out a few programs at you know, maybe a reduced price and get a few people to test them first get some feedback find out if people are happy or what would they change and then when you feel like okay I'm confident this is a great program and I, I'm real like I feel really invested in this then then put your I guess your final price on it and don't be afraid to change it again in future you know pricing and like businesses change their pricing all of the time and prices increase all of the time so don't be afraid to say okay well just because i've committed to this price now that's what i'm going to have to charge forever because that's not that's not the case um but i think you can obviously charge based on an hourly rate you can charge based on a product um or a project sorry you can charge based on like a monthly fee, depending on what sort of service you're offering. It's obviously entirely down to the, the services and the offering that you are you are selling. With the Fashion Founder program, we have a minimum commitment. So that's the minimum time that yeah. I believe someone needs to work with me in order to gain, you know, a certain amount of value from me. And I charge a fixed rate for that period. And over the years, that has gone up and it has changed in line with my experience growing in line with the brands and reputation i'm building and all of that kind of stuff and
0: inflation too gotta bear that in mind too i mean it's crazy out there and if other people's salaries are naturally going up at corporate positions your salary needs to go up too in line with inflation otherwise you're gonna get left behind and wondering why you're almost losing money in a way
1: Oh, definitely. I totally, totally agree. So I think my advice would be just because you start with a a specific price range doesn't mean things can't change in the future. But ultimately, the price that I came up with for the program is based on the time that I'm going to be spending with a client each month. You know, I probably spend a different amount of time with each client depending on how much they need from me. But we sort of it's based on an average expectation of this is how many hours I'm going to spend with that client each month. So it's a mixture of that, the value that they get from the program. So there's a bunch of different resources and online modules and things that they get access to. So it's based on a bunch of different things. And I've found that pricing based on the overall service and I guess project has worked really, really well for me. Um, And don't be afraid to offer payment plans as well. That's something that I would say is... You know, really beneficial both mutually for you and your client because if it makes things a little bit more accessible for them and they can invest because it does make things more accessible for them, then fantastic. And it also makes things great for you because you have a bit more of a reoccurring, predictable income. You think, okay, so if this client starts working with me, let's say on a design project, and we split it up over a three-month period or a six-month period, then you know for those next three to six months, you've got X about coming in from that client. So it gives you an element of consistency and predictability, which is what every freelancer wants from their sales yeah. essentially.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the dream scenario, really, to be having that regular amount of income that you already know is coming in, um, whether that's through that method, being on a retainer, you know, all these different options that people can go through. That's really the freelancer's dream is to have those sort of regular clients booked, knowing really what to expect from the next few months ahead, because it can be scary as a freelancer, you could have a month where if you don't have any pre-planned, you know, bookings, clients, you know, you can have a very, very successful month and then go into another month where actually it's very quiet because nobody needs you right now. And so I think in ways that you've done it and the method that you've done where you've got these different programs that people can like book onto, that's a really smart way of guaranteeing income as well, but also guaranteeing your time for that client. So I think that's a really, really smart way of doing it. And I think that's some people that are listening that want to become freelance can definitely learn from that. What are some of the obstacles that you faced along the way and how did you overcome them?
1: Yes, sort of going back a little bit to what I mentioned before in the realms of boundaries. Yeah, It's something that I have really felt a challenge with ever since becoming a business owner, probably in my personal life as well, I, I will happily admit. Um, <laughs> I think setting boundaries between... You know, work and life. I think just as I mentioned, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. I like to over deliver and then ending up feeling really frustrated because I've put my needs last. I think that's something that is very important to consider as a business owner, because that's when you you burn out and you maybe resent what you're doing. So for me, making sure that I was setting boundaries was really, really important. Um, It was, I guess, how the fashion founder was born. You know, I said at the beginning that I was offering advice for free and then realized like, this is not okay. I shouldn't be doing this. (laughs) Um, So that's ultimately how that sort of happened. Um, But I guess I overcame it by just acknowledging that my clients get a better version of me when I put myself, first and I meet my own needs first and then I you know give them what they need there's this great analogy of putting your own oxygen mask on first so you know you're on an airplane and in the event of loss of cabin pressure the air crew say put your own oxygen mask on first before helping others with theirs and that's something I like to refer back to a lot you know put your own oxygen mask on first make sure that you are setting those boundaries you're taking time off work you're disconnecting I have my notifications off on all of my apps on my phone and I go and choose when I access them and when I speak to clients you know I'm checking them multiple times a day yeah. but making sure that I'm not picking them up when I'm taking time out for me I, I remember a few months ago actually this was a really good example of breaking those boundaries yeah so I'd finished up for the day it was a friday I Closed my laptop and then I'd headed to the gym and I came home and I thought I'm going to make a curry for dinner. And as I was cooking the curry on the stove, I thought, I'll just check my inbox and see if clients need anything from me. Terrible, terrible decision. (laughs) Um, I opened my telegram and there was a stream of messages from one of my clients who needed a bit of support. And I was back and forth, back and forth. And I burnt my curry on the stove. And I was so annoyed at myself because I was like, this is what you get when you don't allow yourself to separate that work and light you know if I'd have said okay I'm just going to turn the stove off I'm just going to head up to the office I'm going to take myself out of this room pick up these messages and I'll come back to it but I didn't I tried to do them at the same time and just completely (laughs) blurred those boundaries and I was so frustrated at myself and that was quite a pivotal moment for me because I was like this cannot you need to (laughs) implement some new systems or strategies to make sure that that doesn't happen and I think I added like a a timer on my telegram that it cuts off at a certain part time of the day and things like that so you've got to almost make it hard for yourself to blur those boundaries and that's exactly what I did so yes (laughs) in long in long terms for me boundaries was a, a very big obstacle and it's something I'm still working on every day
0: yeah it's actually your story is really funny you said that because I did exactly (laughs) the same thing two days ago I was about to cook dinner for us I put the stove on I was gonna do like putting in rice and all this stuff and (laughs) left it going and came back I guess I was I went to my computer because I think I was just finishing up a design project or something and I was like completely got lost in it it's so easy to do Mm. once you're sitting at that screen to get lost completely lost track of time and then I was like oh my goodness I think something's burning, (laughs) (laughs) went in and there's just all this smoke coming out of my rice.
1: (laughs) Oh God, it's awful. It's such, it's such an awful feeling as well. When you think I've taken, I remember I'd like defrosted the chicken the day before and really just taken time to make sure I had it planned and then just completely ruined it for myself. So I totally resonate with that. So yeah. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> it <Not> happens.
0: <laughs> no, but it happens and like you said you just it's just maybe a cutoff point because you know there was me checking that and doing that at like 7:30 at night like no I should have just shut the laptop down and said it can wait till tomorrow but yeah. I think when especially when you're working from home it's harder because you know, I would find it quite easy to switch off after working full-time at a company. You know, I would come home, that's my work day done, I've left the office, and I wouldn't think about it again until the next morning. Unless, obviously, we had a huge deadline, so that's a bit of a different time. But in general, I would be able to switch off because I've left that office space. I'm at home in my own space. But when your own space becomes your office too, you've really got to be, like you are saying, very, very disciplined in Mm. how you separate the two and just you know it's it's very easy to as someone that's hardworking, that's a people pleaser i can completely relate to all these things and (laughs) you know you want to keep everyone happy and so that's unfortunately you then lose your boundaries when you do that a little bit so i'd love for you to lastly list three positive aspects of being a freelancer and three challenges if you feel like there's any others you want to add to what you've already given
1: Okay. So I'll give my challenges first so that we can sort of end on a yeah. positive note. That's nice. Yeah. I like that way of doing it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the 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 ultimate one would be the boundaries, but we've addressed that enough. Um the yeah. second thing I guess would be unpredictability of income. And I think yes. this works both ways. There's pros and cons of that because there's, you know, there's no cap on your earning potential, but there's also yeah if you're working for a company, you know, okay, I have X amount coming in each month, 60, 75% goes on bills or whatever, like you have a distribution, you know exactly what you're doing each month. But when you work for yourself, just as you said before, you might have an amazing month. And then next month's really, really quiet. And there's ebbs and flows in business. And that can be really, really volatile. When you first start out, you think, yeah, what happened? I had a great month last month. And now things are really, really quiet. And, and it's going to happen it happens no matter how like what scale you're at in business whether you're still a very small micro freelancer mm-hmm. or if you're a big corporation with like staff and employees it's that's always going to be the case because it's environmental factors as well it might not necessarily be something that you're doing it could just be yeah. the way that things are um, but that's a big thing there's going to be an unpredictability in income but i definitely think that makes you a better saver it makes you yeah Um, think more wisely about your spends i make sure i put a certain percentage away each month for savings my tax bill also a percentage away for fun as well and think okay this is my pot to spend on whatever i want whether that's meals out or getting my nails done or you know whatever that looks like distributing things removes an element of that volatility but that will always be there i guess other challenges is so i think when you go into business, your all of your weaknesses are exposed. So mm-hmm. anything that you may be struggled with before being a business owner, you will be struggling with probably tenfold in yeah. like in your business. I think if you are a procrastinator beforehand, if you struggle with criticism, if you yeah. worry about failing, if all of those things were very prevalent before going into your business best believe things are going to get a whole lot spicier once you <laughs> go self-employed Yeah. Um. and it really does yeah it really does bring them to the forefront but I think off the back of that comes a lot of growth a lot of evolution I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing it's just challenging and it's gonna yeah, yeah it's gonna definitely present a lot to you but it's gonna give you an opportunity to really grow as a person not just as a business owner I think a lot of people that I know in business uh, have really grown professionally, but personally as well. Um, so yeah. there's definitely some pros to that.
0: Well, yeah, because you're forced into a situation that if you struggled with certain things in the past, you're relying on yourself and yourself alone when you come to the start in your own business. So you have to figure it out or you're not going to continue or succeed doing that. You know, when you have some things you need to work on, when you're working full time, it's a lot easier because you have you have other people to, to fall back on. Um, You know, you're not doing it completely alone, but when it is your business and yours alone, you have to figure it out. You have to find a way to overcome those obstacles. And like you said, you grow from it. I actually think it's, you know, I found it so far. I've been doing this for three years. It's been a really positive experience for me. I've learned more probably in the last three years than I probably learned in my entire career. And I've overcome a lot of things that I would have struggled with before because I've, Had no choice but to figure
1: it out. So I think it's a really positive thing. Definitely. I think there's a a great sense of confidence that comes off the back of starting a business. You are definitely forced to evolve in certain ways because you're presented with this new way of living and this new way of life. But it's amazing. And like, I'm definitely a lot more stressed than I was when I worked for companies. and <laughs> have a lot more pressure. But it's but on you. It's, it's
0: That's why it wasn't, you know, it wasn't on you alone in another company.
1: Okay. But it's stress that I can be on board with. It's stress that I yeah. can, you know, enjoy. And it's like the same excitement you get when you're about to... Do something new or exciting. It's like, oh, this is really scary, but yeah. it's exciting at the same time. So I think that's yeah. You know, you soak all of that up and enjoy it, but definitely take the lessons and mm. take the, the the healing and the growing and the soul searching that comes with being a business owner as well.
0: Absolutely. And then to finish on a positive note, I love the way that you spun that around. That's perfect. <laughs> so for your three positives, what's the best thing about being a freelancer?
1: Oh, got to be the freedom the autonomy. (laughs) Number one. (laughs) Yes, the freedom, the autonomy to live life on your terms. And I think that was my biggest driver to go self employed was to be able to work from my laptop, whenever I want, however, I want as much as I want, with whoever I want, you know, just being able to have complete control over that was massive for me. And I think sometimes I probably work more than I did when I worked for a company, but it's now on my terms, and being able to take a break in the middle of the working day or last September, I think it was my partner's also self-employed. So we spent the month in Australia and oh, just lovely. worked on our laptops, yeah. which was just incredible. And just being able to have complete control over my daily decisions. And yeah, that's, that was really, really big for me. And it's lived up to its expectations. I think that's, um, it's a really enjoyable part of being a business owner. So I guess, earning potential we sort of mentioned it before being able to have no cap on how much money you can yeah. make and it's definitely just like I said before it comes in peaks and flows there's always going to be times when things are a bit quieter or a bit you know things are a little bit different from maybe how they were the month before but yeah there is a lot of abundance in being a business owner you can there's always new opportunities and if things don't work out in one avenue you can take a different route and there's always opportunity and abundance out there to make as much money as you want or as little as you want as well yeah and then maybe the opportunities and the people that you meet off being a business owner because my clients are spread across the world I work with people in America Canada Australia different parts of Europe it's just the opportunity to meet those people that I probably wouldn't have otherwise have met Is yeah it's really cool I get to meet some really interesting, ambitious, inspiring people and better still, I get to work with them, which is always really, really cool. Um, So I think, yeah, that's a big thing for me is the, the networking, the conversations and the people that you get to meet by being a business owner.
0: Yeah, I think as well, you know, you get to meet all these amazing people from all walks of life. A lot of them don't have that background in fashion as well. So it's like a really good opportunity to get to know people's stories, why they even want to be starting a brand because, you know, if you've got absolutely zero background in fashion, I'm always interested to know what brought you to this point, you know, why are you so passionate about this as a, you know, your business idea and your future. So yeah, you must get to meet, especially all over the world, meet such a variety of people, which is always really fun and exciting.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'd say that's one of the the biggest enjoyments of it is just being able to, I think that's ultimately why I took the consultancy path over the design path because yeah. of the one-to-one conversations and you know I really look forward to my strategy calls they they light me up and I know I feel motivated yeah. once I've jumped off them and I think I feel fired up now I feel excited <laughs> and like I want to put the world to rights um, and yeah. so I think I hope my clients feel the same once oh, they am sure with me um so yeah that's that's one of the one of the real strong positives of of doing what I do
0: perfect well First of all, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to give us all this amazing information. I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people out there who are considering a role in freelance as well. Um, So yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to
1: have you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure to chat.
0: I thoroughly enjoyed my chat with Charlotte. She provided us with so much great advice and if you're considering going freelance I really hope she inspired you to take the leap. Next week in part two of how to be a successful freelancer I will be joined by Anna Douglas to get her story and insights on how she made a success of her freelance career in design as well as coaching others to become freelancers too. As always thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please don't hesitate to get in touch via social media via the handle at FashionandTheFree on Instagram and TikTok. And you can check out the website fashionandthefree.com. If you're interested in learning more about Charlotte and all her services, all the links will be in the description for you to check out. Don't forget to like and follow the podcast. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave us a five star rating and review. It helps other fashionistas to find us. I'll see you on the next episode.